It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Surfing is art. If one of art's functions is to inspire emotion, the way Tom Kern and Wayne Lynch ride waves definitely supports this claim. At 46 years old, I'm not alone among those way past the adolescent zealot phase of their surfing life who still get a giddy rush of stoke when they see a clip of these two reluctant messiahs tearing it apart. The way Kern and Lynch have lived, looked, and spoke have had strong influences on surfers and the culture. The term messiah probably goes a bit far and is no doubt a little embarrassing. Lynch once even said, anyone referring to me as a messiah should have a closer look at their own life. Well, maybe that's no bad thing. But why not have a closer look at the way we live, think, and surf? I may be a bit old for hero worship, but when I was a grommet, I could have found worse role models than Wayne and Tom. And I reckon surfing's better off for following these two as they headed down the line. In London, I'm Jamie Brewer. And I'm Tyler Brewer in Brooklyn. This is Hardcore Surf History where we take a deep dive into surfing's past, present, and future. On this episode, we explore the reluctant messiahs of surfing, Wayne Lynch and Tom Curran. Both surfers have led performance revolutions in surfing and were considered child prodigies. Yet, it is their reluctance to embrace their fame that only helps to propel and grow each of their myths. We dive into these surfers' histories and explore what connects them. And of course, Jamie and I try to outmaneuver each other with Stump My Bro, all on Hardcore Surf History. And he just 
When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. A little better? Yeah, that was, that was definitely better. <laughs> so, um, Jame, uh, we have a new uh, title of our podcast. I think we should address the uh, elephant in the room because <laughs> it's no longer the Sunday joint. Uh, we are now calling this podcast Hardcore Surf History, which I kind of like. <laughs> uh, it does make a bit more sense. Like I've had a lot of people asking me, you know, like... Uh... What's up with uh, calling it a joint? You know, is there any? <laughs> I've had to explain it. To us. Yeah, it, it, it's it, co- cool name though. Very cool name. It's a cool name, but it definitely um, a lot of people don't get the reference if they're not uh, a subscriber to the Encyclopedia of Surfing. So it uh, it felt a little limiting, I think, for us too. And and uh, you know, and I think what we've been doing is kind of branching out and kind of exploring beyond the uh, newsletter that Matt was doing. And this just felt like a natural evolution and kind of better describes what our podcast really is. It's for those hardcore uh, surf history buffs, basically, and those who want to know a bit more about uh, the core of uh, surf history, correct? Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing, like Matt's Sunday join is brilliant you know and it's kind of like it's you know it's kind of weird calling our thing the sunday joint when his thing was going down a, a really cool path of its own so uh yeah yeah but uh yeah. i still get inspired by reading them there <laughs> so uh reluctant messiahs um we should we should let our listeners in on this book that you made for me one Christmas, I think, because this is kind of where this kind of stems from, uh, this episode, basically. Uh, for one, one Christmas, Jamie had basically had uh, taken photos of all the different articles, uh, advertisements, photos that he has in all the magazines that he's collected and stuff he could find online of, uh, 
of anything that was had to do with Tom Kern or Wayne Lynch. And then he had it printed into a, this gorgeous bound book, uh, beautifully designed. And it's basically an anthology of, of Wayne Lynch and Tom Kern, basically. That, that's how I would describe it. It's like an anthology book. And you make this connection by calling them reluctant messiahs. And, and Wayne Lynch has definitely been referred to as a messiah in surfing many, many times over. So it kind of, kind of works, I think. Well, yeah, that's you know, like for for the last twenty years or so, there's been quite a few biographies that have come out of different surfers, and and you know, and each time a new one will come out, I'll be like, oh right, cool, cool. All right, when's the Tom Curran one coming out? Yeah. When's the Wayne Lynch one coming out? <laughs> and they never came. Well, came, <laughs> and well it was Wayne like, Lynch. Those did. are like the two. Well, Wayne Lynch did well, Uncharted Waters, you know. No, the, but that's the thing. There's never a book. Oh, um, no book. Yes, and yeah. There's never a book about either of them. Whereas you had the Aki Carroll, uh, uh, Lisa Anderson, yeah. Mick Fanning. Wait, I mean the list goes on. Nat Young, you know the MP. all the way back to Phil Edwards, you know, like MP. That was a really. I've read that one a few times. You know, actually, Aki so, has two like, books. Hockey has two books. Kelly Slater has two biography books. Tom <laughs> Tom Carroll has, you know, and yeah. and so like, but I was thinking, and all these guys, I mean, I really enjoyed reading them. Actually, my favorite one. What's your favorite of them all? Um, I really like Mister Sunset uh, by mm. Phil Jarrett. That Phil one's Jarrett. a really really good one. Um, for com and Gary Elkerton's. Oh. Gary Elkerton's is so <laughs> much fun. I mean, that one is rip-roaring. And if you really want a humorous one, uh, Aki's written by Sarge. Oh, it's awful. <laughs> it is so oh, bad. Oh, God, I didn't even know <laughs> about that so, one. so bad. It's written in Aki's first-person voice, and it's, it's unreadable. <laughs> oh no but that was a while ago it was written <laughs> yeah well i i agree with you about the the kong one you know the gary elkerton's one kong like the autobiography i really enjoyed it and then actually like you know he gets quite serious talks about all his feelings and everything it really brings you back to the 80s and um and, but then the companion audio piece to that is his uh his uh, episode on the Ain't That Swell yeah. podcast. <laughs> that was uh... <laughs> so. So yeah. So I was looking, you know, like I was saying, you know, I want these books, you know, because I felt I felt like Tom Kern and Wayne Lynch had some of the most interesting stories, and and actually, when yes, like like you mentioned, when you watch the film, the Wayne Lynch biography film, Uncharted Waters, you really see it's a really interesting story. His life. And it, that was done really well. So, yeah, so I, I thought, screw it. I'm not going to wait. Let's just take what's out there, put it together. This would be a fun little project. I felt a bit funny about it, especially as I, <laughs> I said to you, like, you've actually interviewed the two of them. And uh, <laughs> if they knew that his brother was like, spending all this time cutting Making out pictures clippings. and sticking them together. <laughs> <laughs> clipping together all these uh, articles and fanboying out basically <laughs> oh i think you need a well that's it you know like uh i mean 
but they're both kind of one e- of my questions. Enigmatic, you know. Yeah. There, there, there's something about them that their reluctance to be in the spotlight, their reluctance to do these things um, that a lot of other professional athletes might do is, you know, there's something that just only adds to their mystique. And they, they both have a history of like kind of disappearing, but then reappearing in the zeitgeist. You know, Curran multiple times, you know, has, you know, kind of faded from, faded from the mainstream and has hung around the peripheral. And then, boom, something propels him back into the spotlight. Like earlier this uh, past year in 2021, Free Scrubber became one of the most viewed surf videos on YouTube in the whole, in the whole year. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting how they kind of go back, go away and come back. When you just said, like, when they get propelled back into the zeitgeist, like, like, tell, tell me more, talk more about that. Well, I think like, you know, they become in vogue again, you know, even Wayne Lynch, right? Like Wayne, you know, was, he changed surfing. You know, uh, he came at, at a young age, about 15 or 16 years old, burst onto the scene and was sur- doing, you know, a lot of people had described his surfing at that time, like he went into the future and came back with new surfing. You know, it, it's, he changed it. And then, uh, you know, you had the draft happen in Vietnam and he kind of went into hiding because he was a draft dodger and um, was avoiding it and was disappearing and totally disappeared from the spotlight, then actually he had a really horrible motorcycle accident in Bali and and uh, and got malaria and to- almost didn't surf for two years, apparently. And then he decided people were telling him he wasn't going to be able to surf or wasn't going to be able to be what he once was, and that motivated him and actually had him come back in the 1975 Coke Surf About where he won you know, and blew everyone's minds, you know, and then he faded again and then came back again and like got the final in the Coke in 78. And he would then go on a walkabout again. And, you know, also did a day in the life, the film in the mid seventies, you know, so he, he's had this constant, like retreat from the spotlight and then just show up randomly and then blow people's minds and then retreat again. Uh, and, and become part of, what everyone's looking at. And then he disappeared for a little while. And then in Litmus, he comes back. And then all of a sudden, he's front and center. And then also you have the Masters competition in the mid-late 90s. You know, and he's in sponsored by Quicksilver. And he's being shown and advertised again and talked about. And there's renewed interest in all of his boards and everything that he does. So it's kind of interesting how he would disappear, come back, and have a huge influence on the culture. Uh, and the same with Curran. I mean, Curran is like... Well, I mean, Curran's... <laughs> I'm going to interrupt. Like, yeah, I go feel for like, it. I feel like Wayne Lynch would kept coming back, but after the 70s, I don't think he was leading culture in any directions, really. I think people took interest in him repeated times. Mm. You know, like what you just mentioned is... After, after, you know, taking part in the birth of pro surfing, or the birth of, you know, the IPS, every time he came back, it's like people were just interested in what he's up to yeah. again. Um, whereas Tom Kern was kind of like, 
like David Bowie, you know, like David yeah. Bowie was, even as he got old, he was changing the direction of music and pop culture. <laughs> and yeah. that's what Tom Curran did. You know, at the very beginning, you know, he was with his competition and showing, you know, that Americans could do stuff. And he was also changing performance surfing. Then it, it, during his search era in the 90s, he basically changed the whole perception of like, what surfing is and it's not so much a competition thing it's about traveling to far off places for perfect waves don't and forget about then the boards he also too don't forget the boards. well that's <laughs> the, the fish you know like tom kern all of a sudden without tom kern and Derek hind you wouldn't have had this whole fish revolution you know with people riding fish surfboards you know going away that and the, I mean, I, you can pick up. I just want to say one more thing, but there yeah. are you're going to pick up, take the baton, and talk about the other things he's done. I bet mm -hmm. surfers playing guitars. Like, yeah. <laughs> once Tom Kern started dragging a guitar around, all of a sudden, like every surfer and his uncle and aunt, you know, just started playing guitar and you know making music. It's it's true, but I mean, I guess like yeah, look at like the fish without Kern riding the fish. Uh, particularly the the Tommy Peterson one, you don't have uh, the influence on Chris Ward, who asked Matt Biolos to make him a fish, which started the round nose fish by Matt Biolos, which became one of the best selling surfboards in history and influenced all sorts of people. And all the other shapers started making their own versions of that particular board. Um, you know, uh, Curran riding skimboards right now, even over the last few years, you see that kind of everyone going to shorter boards and thinner boards and lots of people riding kind of like kind of skimboardy type boards, even like you see that influence. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of mind blowing. Um, the, the yeah, that's someone so old, <laughs> yeah. can, you know, like be cutting edge, you know, an avant garde, if you will. It's, it's, it's like you said, I think like David Bowie is a really good, um, a really kind of a really good kind of parable in music in terms of the style and influence, maybe not personality, but you know, it, what I think, I think you have to talk about though, where all this stuff kind of, uh, converges here. Uh, there's, there's a moment in surf history that I feel like couldn't have been written better like Hollywood couldn't have scripted it almost you know and it's like 1986 there is a they're in southern Australia at Easter Reef uh, for many people who aren't familiar with what Easter Reef is it's a huge large breaking right-hander um, that only comes alive on really massive swells and it's a really terrifying wave because it breaks so far out and the paddle out you have to go through is very sharky and sketchy. And this is like before Surfline, before you could predict when a swell was really coming, even if you could see a big low, you didn't know if the winds or anything were going to be exactly right. And then you have all of a sudden showing up Wayne Lynch, former child prodigy, Shane Horan, another former prodigy, and then at his peak, Tom Curran in 1986, current prodigy. And all three of them came together in this historic swell at Easter Reef, uh, and they surfed this wave. Curran's on a single fin, 
which at that time was unheard of. This is like peak thruster. Uh, you know, you had Shane on his alternative equipment. You had Wayne, like just to me, like that's kind of when all that, all of them kind of merged together and they're all in rip curl too. Well, that's the way it was scripted. It was a rip rip curl photo shoot. Yeah. Shane was (laughs) sponsored by them. It was, you know, they sent him down there to film for, um, for the first Savage Cut, uh, for the Savage Cuts 2 film. And, uh, and all three of them were on Rip Curl. And but it was then, an article. But so. at the same <laughs> Sorry time, to but it wasn't totally, but no, the, the swell was not predicted. You know, it was just like, they just happened to be there for that particular swell. But, you know, wait, they could have been surfing what's your point is, waves. No point, it's just, I just think it's kind of an interesting like a, point of when they all kind of merge. You know, Curran and Lynch particularly, who before then had not had as much interaction with each other. And it's almost like a passing of the baton in some ways of like this reluctant messiah, you know, this kind of, I don't know. To me, I found that really interesting. (laughs) Maybe I was going nowhere with it, but I just thought it was an interesting point in surf history where he had these two characters come together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they are different in a lot of ways. Like Tom Curran is has been explicit in his love for competition, whereas Wayne yeah. Lynch has always been really indifferent to it. Yeah. Um, and he's he's I mean, he's kind of spoken out against it. He hasn't said that competition's wrong per se, but he said you know he doesn't like competition. Um, yeah. But yeah, there there are a lot of similarities, you know. And you know when you mentioned that they're seeming reluctance to fame uh or at least their what what's the word you know kind of the kind of taciturnness in the Mm. spotlight you know gets people really interested in them and i remember once reading something about tom kern a long time ago where they said the fact that he doesn't say much and he Mm -hmm. In, uh, probably in recent years, he has been a bit more loquacious <laughs> in interviews. But back when, at the height of his fame, the 80s and 90s, he he pretty much kept stum, you know, gave pretty short interviews, uh, apart from a couple of them. And they said the fact they didn't say very much allowed people to project their own feelings onto him, you know, and their own ideas onto him. That it could kind of make him what they wanted him to be. <laughs> and it, it's interesting like you know kind of one of the things i wanted to ask you know like yeah why do why do we need kind of why do we make such a big fuss about heroes you know not just in surfing but in, in pop culture in general well there's there's always been i mean you can look at it like joseph from a joseph campbell standpoint you know a hero with a thousand faces it's pervasive in culture there's always been this very similar story, this very similar mythology of the hero and the hero's journey uh, in all of these different cultures uh, all over the world. And it's all like a very similar kind of uh, theme. And, and, you know, there's always this reluctant hero at the beginning of, uh, of their hero's journey who is given a quest of some sort. And I think we all have this kind of we all are looking for that, you know, and particularly the, the, the people who are more like Curran, who are introverted and not, you know, like you said, we can project onto them. And they don't, 
you know, they're not uh, exhibiting this bragging, kind of overly boisterous personality. There's just something about this humbleness uh, that goes with them bec- that attracts some, attracts many people to them. You know, like no one. Ah, uh, yes. I don't know. You're right. right. Like both of them, they're not. They're not alpha males. The two no. of them. No, they're they're not alpha. They're not overly braggadocio. You know, they're not like, uh, look at me, look at me. And I feel like, God, like you always like that that girl who doesn't like you, right? Like you are always attracted to the people a lot of times who who kind of play it cool and aren't overly excitable or don't want all that attention you know i feel like uh or we used to maybe in today's day and age it's a little different <laughs> you know but, uh, but I, I well i was thinking that because you're kind of hitting upon something i was thinking that we didn't necessarily want their uh, attention but we kind of a lot of us who who might not be you know uh dominating kind of people like we might see them as like our heroes because it's like yes I, I you know I never you know like, I I want there yes they show that you can be quieter and not dominating and still get all the attention and all the glory, yeah. And like I used to love that how they would write about Tom Curran in competitions like how you know, no one would know where he was and then he would just be kind of quietly down the beach heading out and kind of staring at his feet but he would still just be like. You know, like the you'd have Gary Elkerton over here and Aki and even Tom Carroll, you know, kind of, you know, thumping their chest and being quite loud and outspoken. But then quietly off to the side, Tom Curran would steal the show. And that I know when I would see that, I'd be like, oh, yes, go, Tommy. And I would be like, oh, yes, I want to be like that as well. You know, because because sometimes it's a lot of work to try to take over and lead everything. But if you can kind of quietly sneak in there and surprise everybody i think that must be a big draw there's something about like like you you look at someone who it's it's almost like i guess like in certain samurai films or certain stories where you have like the old grandmaster who's quiet and quite humble and you have like their opponent who may be more loud and obnoxious and, and it's always you always root for that because there's an off-putting thing about someone who's loud and and too boy you know boisterous and too you know they they're too much about themselves and too much about their ego and there's something appealing about someone who's understated and quiet and just diligent and just goes about they're just focused on their craft and doing it really well i don't know i'm i don't know where i'm going with this <laughs> like i just no think i think like, you're right well but like the thing is, if you told somebody that you uh, practiced kung fu or something like that, you would want to be associated with the type of uh, like senseis that you were just describing. Yeah. And don't you think that like a lot of us like the fact that we surf and we're associated like we like having Tom and Wayne being the the face of our endeavor. Yeah. I mean, we, there's many of us who are, who are drawn to them for sure, you know, and there's something also like, you know, there's something very uh, interesting about introverts. I was, I was looking up like they're both introverts, you know, in terms of personality. Uh, there, and there's something interesting about that, how introverts, 
it's they need a lot of personal space, uh, they, but there's something about them that that they enjoy certain activities that they can do alone. Uh, they are, um, you know, they like something that they can focus on and do really well. And like, I was wondering, like, I had a question, like, why do introverts do so well in, or, or end up seeking the spotlight still, or end up in the spotlight, let's say not seeking so Mm -hmm. much, but they end up being in that spotlight. You would think that they would be drawn to activities that wouldn't propel them in those uncomfortable places, but yet you have people like Bobby Fischer and then you have like these prodigies who, you know, you would think they would just stop doing the thing that they do because it makes them so uncomfortable being in that spotlight, but they still persevere because there's something in them that drives them, that something brings them to it. And it's something about that introverted uh, nature uh, that they just want to focus on that creativity and they want to express themselves through that creativity as opposed to speaking. I did like a whole research on introverts before this. Mm. I guess. You know. Well, although, I mean, I guess that's uh, like introverts don't necessarily not like the spotlight and they don't necessarily not like socializing. But because I've read stuff on introverts where they just need to recharge, you know, like yeah. they, they give all their energy when they're in the spotlight or when they're in a social situation, but then they need to recharge. Whereas somebody who's an extrovert gains energy from it. those situations. Totally. And it's a little bit, mis- I, the thing is they're a little bit different, Tom Kern and Wayne Lynch, because Wayne Lynch does, he is quoted as saying that he liked to be on his own. He liked to be away from things. And actually his job as a, a surfboard shaper is pretty solitary. Yeah. Um, whereas Tom Curran in the podcast interview with, um, ah, Proden, Proden, what's his name? Dave Proden. Uh, Dave Pro- yeah. Proden. He said he actually liked the attention and he liked the spotlight and he quite enjoyed like the OP pros. Um, but as far as you know how like some people get into acting who are very quiet. Yeah. It's like his surfing was his way of expressing himself, whereas exactly. maybe speaking in front of a large audience wasn't. But he actually <laughs> did. He said he liked, he enjoyed the attention. He enjoyed the performing in front of a large crowd, whereas Wayne Lynch didn't so much. Well, it's, yeah. And he, and he definitely did enjoy the competition. You know, there were, you know, when I got to interview him, I, I questioned him about, his run-in with Gary Elkerton at the Bundaberg Surf Masters in 1990, and they had that paddling interference on Gary. And, you know, and he's like, well, I saw Gary coming. I knew what I was doing, you know? And it was like, (laughs) there was total tactical, there was a tactical aspect to it. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It's funny, like, yeah, exactly. Like, they say... Uh, introverts tend to be quiet and subdued, but they and they dislike being the center of attention, even if the attention is positive. But it's not surprising that introverts don't brag about their achievements or knowledge. In fact, they may know more than. I'm sorry, I'm reading this all wrong. But they 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 tend to they li- like you said they like they like that attention. It's just the way that they get to express it that, you know, they don't want to have to speak, but they prefer to express it through their art or some sort of creative expression, basically. 
It was Derek Ho said, I like let my surfing do the talking. Yeah. <laughs> was that Johnny Boy? Which one, one of those guys I remember said like, like the, I also, talk less, uh, talk is cheap, talk is cheap. <laughs> I also was like wondering with like Wayne, like where that distaste for the limelight came and, and he experienced a lot of fame at a very young age and mm. You know, and it became really difficult for him to trust people because there was uh, a lot of people who wanted things from him, you know, and especially at a young age, if you were to experience that, that would be a really total mindfuck, I would imagine, especially if you're like a teenager and you're still developing as a human and you're just so famous and then you have lots of people trying to get things from you. Uh, that would that would be really off-putting and would want to make you kind of uh, more recluse, you know, when it comes to, you know, how you live your life or just have like a few trusted people around you. Yeah, you're right. Sometimes you just, you know, one bad experience. Well, I mean, you must have read about uh, one of his early surf contests where he he won, but he was so young that they... They said, oh, you're too young, actually. We can't. Yeah. <laughs> you're too young for this division, so we'll give you, like, the... Wave of the know, day. Best wave of the day award. <laughs> <laughs> he said, talk about getting off on the wrong foot. Um, yeah, I mean, there was definitely that. And then also, imagine, like, being Wayne Lynch, and you're 16, and you're being asked to go travel the world you know, with like Nat Young and, you know, all these famous surfers, you know. <laughs> can you imagine, that's like your son's age right now, Jabe. And can you imagine someone going to you and be like, well, we think your son's pretty amazing. We want to take him with this ragtag crew to Morocco and Europe and, <laughs> and all over. Yeah, for months on end. Yeah. Well, with no it, communication I, like we do now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's he, what what Wayne Lynch said about that trip. It's a you know, uh, ah, Paul Witzig, right? I always yeah. mix John Witzig's yeah. the writer, Paul Witzig's yeah. the filmmaker. The two surf brothers with lots of talent, kind of a rare thing. Um, <laughs> they they took him around the world. Him and Wayne, him and Nat Young, and um, Ted ah Ted Spencer ah, Ted Spencer, yes. Um, not Ted Deerhurst. <laughs> no, <laughs> not Ted Danson. Not Ted uh, to film Evolution, and Wayne Lynch was saying that at the time, especially where he was from, you know, kind of a small town, Lorne in Victoria, Australia. He said it was kind of a rare thing for an ordinary person to be able to travel around the world. You know, that was something people with a lot of money did, but not your ordinary working class Australian. So it was like a chance to jump at. And yeah. he said he really enjoyed the traveling. There was, it was a really cool time to travel. You um, said just the, the camaraderie among surfers around the world. He described being um, in France and the, the French surfers knew they were coming. And so the French surfers went down to the beach with beach chairs and bottles of wine and basically set up shop and just watched them and got, got, pissed and was cheering them on and then afterwards they all partied together he said it was great but then um i don't know you know nat young was was very much an alpha male surfer 
and um, very competitive. And maybe maybe that could have been a bit a bit tricky, you know, if you're trying to speculate what it was like. You know, imagine if if I was 21 years old and top of the world, and all of a sudden, this if someone who's a few years younger than me was already, you know, challenging me, you know, like, uh, yeah, I feel like I've experienced that before. It's quite threatening, you know. <laughs> so maybe, maybe that, <laughs> maybe, maybe Wayne Lynch saw things that put him off being uh, that kind of a person. I don't know. I well, think that's pretty cool in a lot of ways. But <laughs> Well, they said uh, in Uncharted Waters, uh, the, the, the documentary on Wayne, um, even said like, you know, Wayne... I'm paraphrasing here, but Wayne never felt really a part of the crew in that trip. Like he was there, but he was never fully a part of it, you know, and in same. And they said that just went with him throughout surfing, where he was always kind of more on the periphery, never felt like in the part of it or like a part of the whole whole culture or even that whole group. It was real interesting kind of kind of hearing that like he was there on the trip. He, but he was almost like doing his own thing in some ways. Like, he wasn't... Well, I guess that's the thing. Like, where he came from, you know, a small town like that, uh, he always said they had a the much different son. attitude towards surfing. Yeah, he said, like, all the people he surfed with, it was more just like this really fun, adventurous, recreational thing to do together. Whereas up in, Sid- in Sydney, that was like a whole different world. That was like traveling... yeah. Yeah, to the other side of the moon where it was, you know, the city, people were pretty aggressive and competitive. And that would have been a bit of a shock. Whereas yeah. Tom Curran had, you know, like the, the George brothers, you know, coming and getting him psyched up about traveling on tour. He had Al Merrick, who was probably, you know, who, who was running comp- uh, competition scrimmages on the beach between mm-hmm. him and the other team riders. His mom, who was taking him to all the events, like... Tom NSSA, had a much different... Ian Karen, PT, you know, also mm-hmm. with the NSSA, um, being part of that, totally. You know, he had a bit more push towards the competitive arena. Um, I sometimes wonder also how much his father plays into his influence and what he does, you know? I, I wonder with his father disappearing... And his father being kind of a larger-in-life surfing character in his own right, um, I wonder how much that played into Kern's, like, competitiveness. And in some ways, it was kind of a rebellion against his father, but also it was a way of proving himself to his father. I don't know. Not to psychoanalyze Tom Curran, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know if, if that was... Because um, I think I've heard that, you know, it was dad was supportive of competition um and i think they were both very happy like when he got into competitive swimming yeah um because you know he had like a a very short period of time as a really young like adolescent where tom kern was kind of going off the rails and uh you know hanging out with older surfers who were probably a bad influence on him and then i think they switched him to another school and he got seriously into competitive surfing i mean i'm Swimming, swimming and then surfing as well and i think that yeah i've never heard his dad be and his dad was with them until he was kind of an old teenager or a young adult actually he didn't um didn't leave home until i think tom kern was around 18 i believe um and the only thing that 
Tom Curran once said, and you may have read this, is that his dad thought it was kind of funny that you could make a yeah. proper living off of surfing. And he said, yeah. wait, what? You know, like, even though he was in wetsuit, you know, Pat Curran was in wetsuit ads in the in the early 60s and um, <laughs> was a surfboard shaper, you know, for Renier and for himself, you know, like, uh, yeah, but I think, um, oh. yeah, and... Yeah. And coming from an alcoholic <laughs> father, you know, he was also an alcoholic, Pat. And I imagine that would play into Curran. I mean, you look at similarities between Curran and Slater with that, maybe. Um, issues with their father. I think the, the main, the maybe the main thing too he much probably... Into it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I think that as far as the understatedness, everything you always read about Pat Curran was... That, I mean, Pat Curran was famous. Pat Curran loved people... And Pat Curran always made a big impact, whether it be yeah. with his big wave surfing or with his humor. Um, but his delivery was always understated. And yeah. I, th I think he, Tom Curran just picked up a lot of that. Um, yeah. But I don't know. If you're, uh, if you're catching the biggest wave of the day, there you're might be a part of you which feels a bit competitive. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe. You so. Know? What other, um, you know, like, so to, just to talk about their influence on, on the culture and everything, you know, I mean, can you think of any other people in surfing who have had at that kind of a hold on that type of hero worship <laughs> that, that they've had? Have there been well, any Slater. other surfers you can think of? Slater, of course. Aki. Do you reckon? Really? Yeah. I mean... In Australia, Aki, I think, would, would qualify for that. Um, Slater, obviously. No, but Slater. Slater? You don't think I, he's... He, I've, he's had Everything whole... I've always... Everything about Slater, I always think Slater's been a major influence, and, and everybody knows he's just the god, you know? But as far as hero-worshipping, I, I feel like... It was so never many. cool to say that Slater was your hero. In fact, I remember reading something which said that, you know, like people wanted to be Tom Curran. People wanted to be Wayne Lynch. People wanted to be Billy Hamilton and Mickey Dora and Jerry Lopez. Nobody wanted to be Kelly Slater. People wanted to surf like him, but you didn't try to be him. You know, you didn't try to emulate his way I of being. Know. He was the Baywatch guy. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like there was a time in the 90s when they, a lot of people wanted to be like Slater, you know, for sure. People ro rode the boards. They wore his clothing. They Clearly, there was an influence there, and I think there's a lot of surfers who would want to, you know, be Slater when he was dating Pamela Anderson. So, <laughs> I mean... I feel like people... You're right. I think people emulate... Uh, not emulate. Envied him, mm. and they copied some of his stuff, but it's... I don't know. I always thought like I it was very it was always uncool to say that it was you'd always say, Yeah, I love watching Slater surf but I feel like people didn't want to like just like in their mind just be like, Yeah man, I'm Slater you know whereas <laughs> people did want to be, Oh yeah, I'm Curran or me and Okay, you, all of right. Course you in in that in if you're defining it like that, you know, I I don't think I was you were defined. I didn't know what how you were defining it. Um, yeah, yeah. Probably people don't want to be like Aki. You know. I just thought in terms of having that kind of 
you know, influence, I thought. But in terms of wanting to be like certain surfers, mm. oh gosh. Yeah, that type okay. of like. All right. Well, Lopez would definitely be up there. You know, so many mm. people wanted to be like Lopez. Um, trying to think if there's any, I mean, Torn Martin, maybe. I think a lot of people might want to be like, I don't know. It's hard to say, you know, because his lifestyle yeah, prob- sure probably cool. Yeah, probably in, in like, uh, there's probably like groups of surfers. I think right, now it's more know, fragmented. Who... I think also surfing right now is much bigger and more fragmented. So there are these offshoots. I don't think there's any one surfer now that could be the be-all, end-all of surfers, like, ideal, you know? I think the surfing's yeah. too big and diverse right now to be, oh, we all want to worship this one surfer. I think there's so many different aspects now uh, that surfers will, will want to, you know, fall into these different categories. There's, like, you know, the mod cool surfer like Dion Agius, you know, some people will want to be like. And then there'll be like, you know, the hyper competitive surfer like Chloe Andino or Kanori Igarashi, you know, who they'll want to be like. Um I don't know if anyone wants to be like Idolo. <laughs> but I mean that that workout routine looks brutal that he does. <laughs> I would if yeah. if I was like a different type, I feel like I could get into copying Ito. I don't think like his his whole way of being just like I, it's, I'm not doing it just to be contrary but he's <laughs> someone like I could imagine if I had a different physique and a, a lot more energy you know, just yeah. like the way he'll like stand there and do flips and and just get like pumped up and bounce around and dye your hair white you know like Part of me would love to be that kind of a person, but I could never pull it off. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I mean, you're right. Yeah, this this doesn't seem to be the universal type of thing like they, they used to be. Yeah, no. And like and I think maybe in the nineties, you know, it was Maybe Donovan people wanted to be. <laughs> I don't know. I feel, <laughs> no, I feel I like a know. lot of surfers. I feel like a lot of surfers want to be like uh, Joel Tudor or did at some point. You know, I think there was a lot of that kind of mm. that influence that he had. Uh, a lot of people rode the boards, the the, the clothing style, the, the the pot smoking, the shout outs to you know the the virtue signaling of of music and and culture that of things that are like cool that he likes to point out um maybe there's something yeah, he like would that. have been a, a, he definitely was a heavy influence on things yeah yeah so, i'm not sure if people wanted to be joel tudor yeah. weirdly like yeah there's something something it's almost like yeah I want to do the things you're doing, and I want to. Yeah, that's a good idea. I felt, what about I felt like what about Lisa Joel. Anderson with Roxy and her influence? I feel like she could be uh, up there for women, particularly, and also uh, Steph Gilmore. Maybe Steph Gilmore. I think she is someone that could also be that. Um, she's just so cool. Her surfing's so cool. Uh, she plays guitar. She's got that that curryny kind of vibe, but she's more outgoing. Um, John John potentially. Wait, 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 hold. Let's pause I'm there for a second. Throwing a whole bunch of shit out here now. No, 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 no. I think like a couple of the like the women you just mentioned. Yeah. Illustrate a fact that they're people who probably could have. Yeah. 
been been heroes or messiahs, if you will. Definitely, Lisa Anderson could have fulfilled the role of a, a messiah, you know, someone who really leads things into a new culture. But the this is the thing, like the the thing about Tom Cronin, Wayne Lynch, and Jerry Lopez and Mickey Dora is they they had so many people pushing the message that they were gods yeah. and that they were like heroes and, or, and really cool. Like there's been so much written about, about them, so much, you know, about it. But whereas people, there wasn't tons of people writing about how cool Lisa Anderson was or how cool Stephanie Gilmore is. But that's, and that, I think that's well, the role that's, of media. And, that's and, the role of and, media. Uh, exactly. King making. But the media was also quite misogynist and and male dominated that it it didn't allow for that and the writer most mm-hmm. of the writers in surfing at the Lisa Anderson's height at least were men and so they would always write about her from a male perspective and didn't there wasn't that opportunity really to write about her from a female's perspective in that godlike way um, I think Stephanie though. She gets that. I think she does get written like that. I think men write about her like that. I think women do too. I think she, Stephanie fulfills that uh, that trait for sure and does have that influence. Um, maybe Carissa Moore too, potentially. You know, Carissa Moore has, I mean, such mainstream appeal. And there's so many young girls who look up to her. Um, the The thing is like, I feel like people, there's not this writing anymore either of like hero worship writing like that anymore in Mm. general. You know, there's no, there's none of that myth, mythological writing. It's just more cool to be cynical and to tear down, you know, your heroes or to make them more human as opposed to build them up. And it's far more manufactured. Yeah, and and that's the thing. This and there's so many different avenues to it. It gets watered down. Whereas yeah. you know, when Curran was still, he he his ascendancy came at the time when there was still just you know a handful of surf magazines, and that was where you got all your information. So yeah. they could really control the narrative in that way. So yeah, yeah so we we might never get another um another another do you think john john surfing i don't know do you what about john john he's kind of got a little bit of that aloofness he's kind of uh got that mystique and that aura um you know unfortunately he's had some injuries but like he just shows up and then everyone loves his surfing and his style he's pretty universally loved you very rarely hear a critical thing of john john no that's true but you don't it's not i mean and the thing is i mean i know I kind of feel like you missed out on it. I know you've read the magazines and stuff, but yeah. to be when Tom in 1985 and 86, the feeling was just crazy for Tom Curran. And and like people have said, it was like the Beatles, you know, when the Beatles yeah. came, there was Tom Curran mania and there was Wayne Lynch mania. There's never been John John mania. Um, there's, that's the same thing, you know, and there's been Jerry Lopez mania in the seventies, mm. but, there's never been mania for anyone ever since the the mania for Slater was teenage girls, uh, you know. It, but that's and that's a different type of mania. But as far as there's never been that like 
the type of thing where you get like a Bob Marley is, you know, been, you know, like, um, yeah, that type of messianic kind of uh, persona that I don't think there's been any since. And it what just about, might not be you, possible. Would you say David Nueva would fit into a little bit of that at all, that mystique? There's always that photo it, of him with the mm, towel around his mm. shoulder and the board ha- hand out, you know, in one hand. And, you know, he has like his little, you know, his uh, surfs following him around. <laughs> yeah, it's quite possible. It's quite possible. That's It's hard for me to know exactly. I feel like it's pretty obvious that Mickey Dora and um, Jerry Lopez had it. I'm not sure. Possibly. With, uh, no one, no with one wanted to be that. MP. But they love this surfing, right? MP wouldn't really be yeah. Out there. And yeah, you're probably right. And then MR. They was, said Billy Hamilton, kind of, but he just yeah. wasn't at that total dominance. He was just like, oh yeah, I'd like to be him, but not yeah. not that crazy. <laughs> and, and I mean, MR, just everybody. Yeah. No, again, MR was great. Everybody loved MR, but. People weren't dying to be MR. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, well. That's the thing, you know. There's there's not that many. I mean, that's the thing in in religion. There are only a few messiahs, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, what about false messiahs? There's been there's probably been quite a few of those in surfing. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> you know. All right. Well, yeah. I think. I think you're trying to uh, put something off, Tyler. No, oh, is it is it that time? Is it time for? <laughs> is it time for stump Don't my bro? bro. <laughs> I'm not as well prepared, but I'll have That's to try to. That's a tricky one because it. I think we both have both have talked about Wade Lynch and Tom Grunn so much with each other that we probably. <laughs> Think every time I thought of something, I'm like, well, Tyler will just know this. There's not really a, <laughs> a point, you know. Well, why don't you give me what you got first? Then? Okay. Um, Get it. <laughs> so do you remember, it was the late 90s, early 2000s, there was a surfboard brand that came out called Evolution. And it was, you know, mm. Wayne Lynch had started it out. And do you remember those boards, by the way? Just uh, yeah, just and the 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 logo was like the three horizontal brush strokes. Had some of the coolest, you know, uh, I would say uh, advertising assets. Like the the branding, everything had so much potential. The boards had incredible color and pop, you know, which you know. At that time in the 90s, in late, late 90s, early 2000s, most boards were just white for the most part. And these things were amazing. And it was so cool. And it had such potential, that brand, I feel like. But it did not end up being, a, unfortunately, the guy who owned it was kind of a twat. And, uh, you know, and he ended up screwing over some people. But do you know, who, do you remember who the other shaper was on the Evolution team? I feel like it was Rusty Priesendorfer. Nope. I remember him saying and that Rusty was, was also doing a American surfer, ones. And he was also a surfer for it, too. A surfer for it? Yeah. No, you stumped your bro. Who was it? Yeah. Joel Fitzgerald. 
Do you remember? He was writing revolution boards and he was shaping also. And it was Wayne and Joel. How cool is that? Like Terry Fitzgerald and Wayne Lynch, kind of, you know, contemporaries. And Terry's son was on this. Both look great in tight jeans. What's that? (laughs) They both look great in tight jeans. Both look great in tight jeans. (laughs) I think you need to post that um, photo shoot. Of them prancing around for Art Brewer on the Instagram on the Instagram site, Tyler. Okay, <laughs> so hot right now. It's a sea of Messiah rising, Messiah. <laughs> or serpent in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> I don't think I knew that, Tyler. That's not a bad stump, actually. You know. And uh, especially because at the time in the '90s, I wasn't aware that Joel Tudor was already uh, Joel Tudor, Joel Fitzgerald was already shaping at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was riding and shaping, and uh, I remember meeting him around that time. I almost we almost became roommates. We almost moved in together. That would have been cool. <laughs> he was going to be a model in New York. Met him through Shane McIntyre. That was pretty cool. <laughs> All right, what's yours? Um, tell me all you know about Wayne Lynch's first surfboard that he ever shaped. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Now, this is according to Andrew Kidman, so I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not sure if it's definitely true. Um, it's in the book that I, I yeah. uh, made for you, so uh, shows how much it's you've enjoyed. It's a dense book, by my, the way, my people. Present. There's how many pages are in that book? It's it's a lot. I don't know. I didn't I didn't do the page numbers on it. If if people want to get a copy, you know, uh, just hit me up. I have a PDF. <laughs> hit, hit me up. I want a, I want a cut of that. <laughs> I have to pay royalties on it though. Yeah. No, I'm um, <laughs> so so the first surfboard he ever yeah. shaped, Wayne Lynch was 15 years old. And um, it was it was 1967, and it had one of those like crazy deep V's in it. And he, do you know why he put the deep V in his surfboard? Uh, for vendetta? I don't know. Vengeance? You know, like a the V bottom. <laughs> no, I know. I know. V bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He put a big V bottom in it so he could do barrel rolls. You know, El Rolos, like a, like a, well, like, so um, futuristic. like Johnny Boy Gomez did. Yeah. 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 And Sean Barron. And, um, and yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, okay, well, then, um, there was a, a really trippy psychedelic airbrush on it or a paint job. And I don't know if it was airbrush. And do you know who did the, the paint job on it? Martin Worthington. <laughs> no, <laughs> Martin Worthington would definitely do airbrushes. Yeah. Um, no, it was um, it was Simon Buttonshaw, his old mate who grew up with him in Lawn, who ended up becoming like a top designer for Quicksilver. Yeah, and a great shaper in his yeah, own. And uh, yeah, and uh, and also on there was a couple of. <laughs> of messages inscribed on the board. Do you know what they were in psychedelic writing? No. <laughs> I want to so know, though. <laughs> one was, 
acid is the great brain detergent. And, um, and of course, the other one said, are you experienced? You know, it's interesting. Uh, you know, listening, I was listening back to my interview with Wayne. I, he was quite anti-drug, you know, uh, at this stage of his life. Mm, you know, he, yeah, he yeah. really, really felt like it, it messed a lot of people up and a lot of surfers. Uh, one in particular uh, that he mentioned, uh, Keith Paul, who was really... He was really spoke very highly of and just felt like, yeah, the drugs ruined him. He's really anti-drug, right? You know, I guess. Well, I don't that's think the thing. He, he, was yeah. front, he was front line and he saw all of the... And that's the thing. I think they said, you know, in the, in the mid-60s, they... It, it, to, well, to, to a lot of, you know, kind of, you know, white middle-class kids, you know, like drugs they didn't know anything about drugs it just seemed like oh this is cool it's not drinking you're not throwing up and it's this is great you know you just didn't know um all the dangers so when 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 you know when he was writing these things the caveat is uh, he was only 15 it was 1967 they didn't yeah. uh, they didn't know the pitfalls yet <laughs> so that's a uh, that's one of my stumps there what oh. else have you got <laughs> um this would be really obscure um, this is a really obscure one that I don't expect you to get. Um, but he's a member of the Tom Kern band. He met Kern first time in 1993 when they were touring up the East Coast and they needed a band member. One of the band, people in Kern's band at the time left and they needed mm. someone to fill in. And they met this gentleman I believe in Virginia, and then he ended up joining him, and now he still tours with Kern to this day. Do you know who this person is? Uh, no, I, I have I have read that before, but I didn't remember his name because it wasn't yeah. really an Chris a name Swan. I know I just went for a super hard stump, but this guy is like amazing, really good musician, like absolutely whales and. And what a play. cool moment for him. Like, imagine if you just, like, that's a, one of those moments that's changed his life. Serious. I, you know, so in the interview that I did with Tom Curran and Sonny Miller, uh, you know, they talk all about that whole trip, you know, and the whole East Coast tour and the tours that Derek Hind would put together. And I believe Derek had bought, like, a, like a Chevy Valance or whatever and wanted to drive cross-country with all of them. <laughs> and, and they were like, we'll meet you in Virginia or meet you in Rhode Island. <laughs> Another fun thing about that, um, whose house did Derek and Tom Curran stay at in Long Island when they came for their tour in 1993? Was that Do Brian you know? Walsh? Yes! <laughs> they were all partying. Brian Walsh, that's is at his house that I first ever had a, a Jägermeister ice luge shot. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Walsh is a uh, local surfer in New York, and they had like a crazy experience when Curran was touring through New York in like 93, and Curran had picked up that Rick Twinfin in, in New Jersey, and then they all... St- stayed uh you know after playing at the malibu beach club they all went back to our friend brian walsh's and stayed there and partied and then they all went out to montauk and and watched him play out there and hung out with them like as groupies how cool is that <laughs> very cool 
Uh-huh. Well, I got one one more right. uh, one for you. I've, I've got a couple of real quick ones, and then one semi-decent one here. Um, which you know, we always talk about Tom Curran's influence on others, mm-hmm. um, on on culture at large. But someone who really influenced his surfing, um, and also, I mean, down to the part that like Tom Curran would copy so many things about this surfer, including. Uh, doing his own ding repairs, you know, when he was on really? tour, you know, like he thought, I'm, this surfer does this, so I'm going to do it. Uh, this surfer makes his own wax, so I'm going to make my own wax. Make his own wax, you know, like crazy shit. Which surfer was a heavy influence on Tom Curran? Is it Bugsy Malone, a.k.a. Rabbit? No, that's who everyone always says. They always say, you know, that Rabbit Bartholomew was uh, the main influence on Tom Curran. Um, they even said that Tom Curran was like a turbocharged rabbit, but yeah. Mark Richards, really interesting. Yeah, he said he really emulated Mark Richards, and clearly uh, yeah, not Mark his Richards, style. You know, surfboard shaper. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's some things about it, you know. Like if you watch, no, it's, uh, yeah, you're probably right. Really, I think his style comes more from Michael Peterson and 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 Rabbit. rabbit. Like if you yeah. watch Michael Peterson, there's a lot of similarities with the arms, you know. Because it's the right hand <laughs> point break, you know. That's like the whole thing, you know. The right hand yeah, point yeah. break. I think really, that's where you can draw the, draw the line between those. All right, what else? Well, the other one then was um, which surfer? You know, I mentioned Simon Buttonshaw, but there was another <clears throat> real top surfer who, and, and like I said, you know, Lorne didn't have. A big share of top competitive yeah. surfers but there was one uh another top competitive surfer who wayne grew up surfing with um used to um, him and this person would leave their boards together down at like a little cabana at the beach you know because the boards were long mm-hmm. and this person went on to actually win multiple australian surf titles made it to the world championships a few times as well which uh surfer oh, was this fuck oh. I don't know. Think about from that area. Does that help at all? No. I'm trying to think. Gosh. I forgot. Nothing? Okay. No. Gail Cooper. Ah. Gail Cooper. She ended up um, yeah, being third. Uh, well, she made it to the World Championships in 1966, you know, that, um, that Nat Young and Joyce Hoffman won. And... She actually got third place in the finals, but it was an equal third place. And they didn't have two third place trophies to hand out because they're all different sizes. So they went away and they came back to her and said, well, okay, you're fourth place. And, um, <laughs> and she got uh, fourth place. But she was a shit-hot surfer. And I think, God, she won the Australian titles something like 10 times, some crazy Damn. amount. Whew. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. That's my, that's a good uh, stump. That's my other stump. Yeah, and Deep. she said, you know, like when she was growing up, she didn't read surf magazines. She didn't know they surfed in California. There was no surf films. But she said, you know, like her and Wayne basically had each other. So they were just, you know, like Feet ping off, off each other. other. And she said that was all she needed, you know, like. <laughs> I would love and to it's see. Funny, like, I would love to see an article like that based on those two and their kind of evolution together that would be fascinating 
Well, if you read the book you got me, Sean Doherty's Golden Days, it's all in there. (laughs) Well, someone has to get me that book then. (laughs) Um, I'm just trying to, I'm thinking back now, like Curran and MR, and like, did did Curran then start eating KFC, you know, because of all the original spices? <laughs> MR did a KFC commercial. It's so good. Anyway, I think you mentioned that every other ep- every other podcast. Why not? It's so good. <laughs> How could you not mention it? It's a great ad. Um, all right. Well, uh, that finishes up our first uh, hardcore surf history episode. Uh, for all our listeners, uh, I'm going to post my interviews with Curran and Sonny Miller and also Wayne Lynch uh, up for you to listen to as well if you are interested. Uh, they are nice and long and really fun. And uh, the Curran one audio is a little difficult because it wasn't meant for a proper audio recording. It was just a video, but uh, you can make out what they're saying and Sonny Miller's pretty awesome in it uh rest in peace and uh wayne i got to interview when he came through new york uh premiering uncharted uncharted waters so um yeah we'll have that posted and uh follow us on hardcore underscore surf underscore history on instagram now and uh anything you want to say to our uh, listeners james nope i think you've uh, underscored everything <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for listening, and we'll catch you on down the line. Yes. Yeah.